the Charlie E. and Minnie P. Hendricks Foundation for Chronic Illness Awareness, giving hope and empowering those who suffer with chronic illness. See one, reach one, educate one to empower the masses. You can contact the foundation at 313-303-9217 or visit their website at https colon forward slash forward slash cemphfoundation.com this is a 501c3 organization. No one should live in lack. All contributions are tax deductible. Thank you for joining me for another episode of my story, Living with Lupus Podcast. I'm your host, Susan Hendricks, and I'm so glad that you could join me on this Wednesday, June 18th, 2022. Today, we'll be talking about pulse oximetry. And if you don't know what it is, you're going to find out. And is there racial and ethnic biases in pulse oximetry and clinical outcomes? We'll also be discussing TYK2 inhibitor shows promise in lupus. So, you know what? I want you to do. That's right. All the way from Highland Park, Michigan to Spain. Get ready to grab your cup of coffee, your cup of tea, and to my listeners late at night, you know I appreciate you. So go ahead and grab your favorite glass of wine. And come on and join the conversation right here on My Story, Living with Lupus Podcast. The views and opinions expressed on My Story, Living with Lupus Podcast represents each person's individual experience. By listening to this podcast or reading our blog, you agree not to use this podcast or blog as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others. As always, consult your own physician for any medical issues that you may be having. My Story Living with Lucas podcast is officially trademarked, all rights reserved. Have you realized that every time 
we go to the doctor. First, they place the BP cup, blood pressure cup, on your arm. And then they place a small device on your finger. Have you ever asked, what is that device for? And what are the results showing? Or does the medical assistant automatically tell you what those numbers mean? Well, pulse oximetry is a non-invasive, pain-free way of measuring the oxygen in a person's blood. Pulse oximeters are used routinely during regular physicals to surgery. Pulse ox is often called the fifth vital sign. It involves pulmonary, critical care, and sleep medicine to internal medicine. Now, Oxygen saturation is a crucial measure of how well the lungs are working. When we breathe in air, our lungs transmit oxygen into tiny blood vessels called capillaries. In turn, these capillaries send oxygen-rich blood to the heart, which then pumps it through arteries to the rest of the body. Our organs need a constant supply of oxygen to work properly. When the capacity of the lungs to transport oxygen into the blood is impaired, blood oxygen saturation declines, potentially putting our organs in danger. Now, a pulse oximeter can quickly detect this drop in oxygen saturation, alerting people of the need for medical intervention. And as I stated before, if you have ever had a physical or visited a doctor for a medical procedure, You've had your blood oxygen saturation measured by a pulse oximeter. More recently, during the pandemic, um, this device was widely used. Now, it has caused some controversy, and that is dealing with the numbers that are being read off of this little device, which can and sometimes lead to a delay in diagnosis or a misdiagnosis. Now, there, like anything else, and it's sad to say, exists racial 
and ethnic bias in pulse oximetry and clinical outcomes. Now, assessment of blood oxygen saturation is an important measure of health on which many diagnostic and treatment decisions are based. Blood oxygen saturation is most commonly assessed via pulse oximetry. With increasing use across the home, clinic, hospital settings during the pandemic. However, inaccuracies in pulse oximetry measurements have come under scientific scrutiny over the past two years. And they're saying that it's dealing with the person's skin color. Now, less is known about whether underdiagnosis of hypoxemia for historically marginalized racial and ethnic groups has consequences. Now, there is an article, Racial and Ethnic Discrepancy in Pulse Oximetry and Delay Identification of Treatment Eligibility Among Patients um, Who Contracted COVID. Um, the doctor, Dr. Fozzi, and colleagues evaluate the measurement bias in pulse oximetry among a population of hospitalized patients during the pandemic. Now, it's sad to say, but I would like to know how can a machine detect the color of an individual's skin to know, well, this is a person of color versus um, an Anglo-Saxon person, a white person. Okay, that that kind of had me off guard. Is it due to, could it be, well, let me put it this way. Could it be the body temperature of that individual rather than um, the color of their skin? Has anybody thought about that? Now, I know when I go to um, my follow-up appointments and they place the pulse ox on my finger, um, sometimes they can get a reading. And then other times they can't because um, I may be experiencing an episode with um, my Reynards and I have to warm my hands up for them to um, get an accurate reading on myself. Um, Dr. F 
Fozzi and colleagues reported higher rates of occult hypoxemia um, for Asian, Black, and Hispanic patients compared with non-Hispanic white patients, as well as delayed or under um, recognized eligibility of the um, U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention Guidelines um, concordant with the pandemic treatments such as steroids um, for Black and Hispanic patients using under detection of a treatment threshold to assess the consequences of undetected hypoxemia was a novel and key feature of this study. When we return, we will continue. So stick with me. It's a very interesting um, study. All right, and I'm back. Now, it's one thing, well, it's one word I keep um, throwing around, and that's hypoxemia. And the definition of that is having low oxygen levels in your blood, and it's called hypoxemia. Now, having low oxygen levels in your tissues is called hypoxia. Hypoxemia can happen in high altitudes. Hypoxemia occurs when levels of oxygen in the blood are lower than normal. If blood oxygen levels are too low, your body may not work properly. And as I stated before, we know that the blood carries oxygen to the cells throughout our body to keep them healthy. Hypoxemia can cause mild problems such as headaches, shortness of breath. Now, in severe cases, it can interfere with the heart and brain function. Hypoxemia that causes low oxygen levels in our body's tissues, as stated before, is called what? Hypoxia. Sometimes people use the two terms interchangeably, but they are not the same thing. So, you get it? All right. Now, let's continue on to the topic of racial and ethnic bias in post-oximeter. Oh, I'm sorry. And clinical outcomes. I'm tongue-tied today, and I'm going to tell you why. I was sick all day yesterday. Yeah, I had got up. I wasn't feeling good, but I kept it moving forward. And I had to go to the post office to mail 
some packages off. Um, people had ordered some things from me, and we'll talk about that later. And I had to mail the packages off. Okay, went to the post office. I was masked up. And um, I'm saying, oh, kind of sick. And I said, I hope I don't uh, regurgitate in the post office. And I said, let me just drop these packages off and go back home. I got into the car. I made it home, but I had to sit in the car for like 20 minutes. Because I, I kept having that feeling that I was going to um, regurgitate. I'm trying to be nice about it. And I said, okay. I said, I think I'm feeling a little better. Let me tell you, I ran up the steps, straight shot in the bathroom. And soon as I lifted the seat up, here it comes out. I was so sick yesterday. I stayed in the bed from 12 o'clock in the afternoon up until 6 o'clock this morning. I had to uh, go back out and pick up a donation for my foundation. And I said I won't be able to rest. Um any because um, coming up on the 19th of June, I will be giving back to the community of Highland Park. I will be feeding the homeless hot meals, providing hot meals for any resident that is in need. All they have to do is uh, contact the foundation. Also, um, personal care items and clothing will be given out to those in need. And um, so I really won't get any rest until after June the 19th. Um, so, but yeah, I went all the way to the left telling you guys about something else. But that's what hypoxemia is okay let's finish up on the racial and ethnic bias and pulse oximetry um a recent investigation by wong and colleagues um demonstrated consequences of under detection of hypoxemia among a population of patients with respiratory disease. In this multi-center um, respiratory cross-sectional study using data from three publicly available database that included 215 hospitals and intensive care units, the authors associated higher odds of hospital mortality, elevated lactate, and high subsequental organ failure assessment scores with a higher prevalence 
of occult hypoxemia among Asians, Blacks, and Hispanic patients compared with white patients. The outcome of interest, which was the occult hypoxemia, was defined differently than in Dr. Fozzi's and colleagues' study. Yet both studies showed that underdetected arterial hypoxemia was harmful and more frequently encountered in patients of racial and ethnic minority groups. Historical neglect of patients of racial and ethnic groups and a diminished concern for their health outcomes may explain in part why this phenomenon, differential pulse oximetry accuracy, has been recognized for more than 30 years and has not been corrected. Using white patients as the standard in biomedical design has led to both differential care and innovation for optimizing the way devices and algorithms work on patients of racial and ethnic groups. The economics associated with ignoring the issue cannot be excluded from this discussion. Hospitals and practitioners continue to buy and ignoring the issue cannot be excluded from this discussion. Now, the hospitals and practitioners continue to buy and use these devices despite their inaccuracy for non-white patients. The observation that designing a new device and exchanging millions of machines in hospitals and clinics across the country may be deemed unpopular could suggest that racial equity in patient care is not something these institutions are willing to pay for, or at least not enough of a priority to insist on devices that work equitably. Similar, changing this injustice paradigm presents a challenge for clinicians, in part because of the passivity of medical education. Students of medicine are taught how the system works and not how to change it. It is sad in this day and time that we are using people as a standard of how everyone else 
should be. Medicine, my friends, my people, is not a one-size-fits-all. Everyone who becomes ill feels different symptoms, have different lab results, have different x-rays, have different MRIs. So why is it that in the medical field that you are still using one set a group of individuals as the norm for everyone else. It's ludicrous. It's unacceptable. And I've always said this, just like some doctors would like to place not all, but some lupus patients all in one box and say, you should be experiencing this. No, just because you're experiencing that doesn't mean it's your lupus flaring up. This is your body, people. Don't let them blow the smoke screen on you. Don't do that. They will try to gas light you just to get you in, get you out, on to the next one, and saying all the time in their head, I have to meet this quota, especially if they're employed by a facility. And when I say facility, I mean a hospital because they're going to make sure they meet those numbers uh, to have that bottom line all healthy and in the black. But they refuse to, I can't say they refuse to because I don't know every physician in this country I should say some refuse to see a patient for that patient. And when I say that, see me for who I am. Not set me um, or put me in a box with a Karen, you know, who you have set the standards on that all patients should be reacting in this form. And I've said this also, that doctors need extensive learning in patient care and bedside manners. Now, some doctors have great bedside manners. And some of you just truly suck. You talk to patients like they're nothing. You make them feel worse than when they came in. Just because some, you know, doctors have that white coat on doesn't mean that they know everything. 
They're practicing medicine. And that's the key word, practice. Until they get it right. And you still have individuals in med school who come out thinking that they are the gods. And um, you have some, let me take that back. You have some that think they are the gods. You know, I'm glad you have your medical degree. Happy for you. But you never forget where you came from and the patients who you have tried to treat. And in turn, you've mistreated a lot of patients of color. Now, with me, I know I speak my mind. And, and um, that could be a good thing and it can be a bad thing also. It's like I tell all of my physicians, don't sugarcoat anything with me. Come on with it. Don't try to say, oh, well, Susan, you know this is part of blah, 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 blah. Uh-uh. Just come on out with it before I come out with it. And I have came out with it and told my doctors, you just don't know what's wrong with me. And basically, you're running all these tests to rule out everything else. So don't sugarcoat it with me. You can't can't sugarcoat my health with me. Don't make me try to feel um or pacify me. That's the word I want to use. Don't pacify me. Life is too short to be pacified, people. That's why I say to you all the time, don't be intimidated by the white coat. Don't be intimidated by that man or woman. If you have questions regardless to how silly it may sound to you, you ask it because there is no such thing as a silly question. I'm going to tell you this, and I had a friend. Well, this person is an ex-friend of mine now. They had a habit every time they go to the doctor, they come back and ask me, what is this? Um, the doctor gave it to me. So what is it used for? Or why am I taking it? And um, they gave me these pills. What are the side effects of the medication? And so I said, hmm. Last time I had provider numbers was back in um, 2000 when I had my business. I no longer have provider numbers. I was not sitting in there with you at your doctor's appointment. I don't know what you told the doctor and why they gave you 
this. I said, I tell you every time and you listen to the podcast, you are your own best advocate. And these are questions you need to be asking the doctor. Instead, you let them write a script, four or five scripts. You not question because you're too scared to speak up for your own health. And when I said that to this ex-friend, oh, that was the last time I heard from them. I can tell you how to advocate for you, but I cannot go in that physician's office with you and hold your hand and tell you, this is what you say. Don't be scared. It's your health. Like I told this ex-friend, it's your health. Either you want to get better, either you're concerned about it, either you're not going to let them run um, you out because they're behind in their schedule seeing the next patient, either you tell the doctor, hey, speak to me in layman's terms and explain it to me. But I told this friend before they hung up on me, this is what some physicians bank on. Yes, they bank on people of color not asking the pertinent questions regarding their health. And so, in turn, some will treat you in a way that you don't want to be treated. But you allow it. You allow it. You better use your voice, people, and speak up. Everything, when it comes down to medicine, and it's bad to say, I have experienced it. It's based on the color of your skin, how you will be treated in the ER to the inpatient floor in the hospital. Racial and ethnic bias still exist and it won't go away until we as patients open our mouths and speak up and speak out. Keep telling y'all, y'all don't have to be scared. You don't have to be scared. This is what has delayed treatment for people of color. If they don't think, well, it's it's proven, research has proven that doctors think people of color, and I'm talking about Black people, can withstand pain better than anyone else or that we junkies. So they will delay the pain medication. You can be in pain and they'll delay it. You can need 
a script refill and they will go over your pharmace pharmaceutical um, database and see how many times you switched pharmacies. And that's a red flag for them because it states you are a pharmacy jumper. And who are pharmacy jumpers? Addicts. They'll go from pharmacy to pharmacy to pharmacy. Just like they will go to ER room, to another ER room, to another ER room. Until they get their meds. It's all based on race, ethnicity, algorithms that keep black patients for, from receiving a new kidney. Everything is based on race, which makes me sick to the stomach. And I'm being honest with you guys. That's why, yes, I am outspoken. And like I said, sometimes it's good and sometimes it's bad. I went to the ER one time. The doctor sent me there. They thought I had a DVT, which is a deep vein thrombosis. I sat in the ER from two o'clock until, let's see, seven. I hadn't been seen. I got up off of the side of that bed. My sister was with me. I said, I've been sitting here all this time waiting to see somebody. The doctor thinks I have a deep vein thrombosis, but they taking a sweet time about seeing me. I told her if I have one, it'll stay right there because I'm walking out of here now. And so here comes the intern. Oh, Miss Hendricks, I am so sorry. I said, this is discrimination. I've been sitting in here all this time. You seen two people that came in after me, but the doctor called ahead of time to say I was coming and that he suspected a DVT. I said, oh no. I said some choice words too, but I can't say them all on the podcast, but you know, it's racial and it's sickening. It is truly sickening. And that's why you need to speak your mind. Don't just sit up there and let them gaslight you. Let them write you out scripts for this, scripts for that without asking them, what are you writing them for? What are the side effects? Y'all come on. You got to learn to speak up and speak out. Now, during these last two, what well, we've been in a pandemic two to three years, 
overestimates impulse oximetry measurements among Blacks and Hispanic patients were tied to delays in eligibility for therapies during the pandemic. This is all research. I found this research in MedPage today. Compared with white individuals, pulse oximetry overestimate oxygen saturation by an average of 1.7% in Asian patients, 1.2% in Black patients, 1.1% for non-Black Hispanic patients, reported by Dr. Fauci, not Dr. Fauci, Fawzy, F-A-W-Z-Y-M-D of John Hopkins University in Baltimore and colleagues in JAMA International, internal, I'm sorry, medicine. But only Black and Hispanic patients were less likely to be recognized as being eligible for recommended therapies as a result almost 24% had unrecognized treatment eligibility with 54.8% of those patients being black and 27.1% being Hispanic, the authors noted. Compared with white patients, black patients had a median one hour difference in time to recognition of eligibility. Ain't that a trip? And they wonder why people of color acted the way they did during the pandemic regarding vaccination. I want you to realize it. Don't don't be gaslit. Don't be gaslit. It's it's might as well say it's biased. <laughs> and it's sad. It's sad. It's biased in everything. And I hate I hate to say that. It's racial and ethnic bias against people of color when it comes to clinical outcomes, period, period. Not all doctors are the same, I know that. Not all um, interns are the same. I know that some interns are in the medical field for the people. We're back and we're talking about Ducravitacitinib. TYK2 inhibitor shows promise in lupus. 
ducravacitinib, an investigational oral drug that inhibits certain cytokines selectively, has now passed an important mid-stage test for systemic lupus erythematosus, better known as SLE. After already showing similar potential in plaque psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. In the randomized placebo-controlled phase two, up to 58.2% of patients receiving different doses of this drug met the study's primary efficacy endpoint. The SLE responder index level versus 34.4% of all placebo group reported. Oddly, the highest average SRI4 response came with the lowest dosage, 3 milligrams twice daily. Other doses tested were 6 milligrams twice daily and 12 milligrams once daily. A day. Despite that bit of mystery, Moran reported that the drug shows promise as novel therapy for SLE and warrants further investigation in phase three trials. Stay with me. I'll be right back. Well, it's that time. Yes, it's that time for me to go. It's time for me to take a break. It's 1.22 on this Wednesday, June 8, 2022. Please visit my Tea Public store. Link will be in the description of this podcast. Also, on June 19th, my foundation, the Charlie E. and Minnie P. Hendricks Foundation, will be giving back to the community of Highland Park and Detroit and Hamtramck. So, I want to leave you with this. Never giving up means that you never stop being who you are. Never surrendering is that you never let any of the adversity that may befall you, no matter how difficult, diminish the light that radiates from within you, the light that we all have, but is unique to each of us. I wish the medical field would grab hold to that. Everyone is unique. You can't put us all in a box based on what you consider the norm. I wish you a most safe, peaceful, positive, and productive week. And an Oh, so blessed weekend. I'm Susan Hendricks, your host for 
my story, Living with Lupus Podcast. See you next time. Have a good one, everybody.